Welcome back to our podcast within a podcast, pottering around the history of magic exam of Mangum Reads. We are three muggles who have forgotten how to make a forget forgetfulness potion, and I am Sarah, and I am joined by my co-hosts, as always, BJ and Spencer. How are y'all doing? I'm doing fine, other than that I feel cheated that apparently the last 50 pages of this book is done in two chapters. It, uh, it's a wild ride, Spencer. <laughs> you might say that you have been uh, thrust through the trap door on this Tuesday. No, no, I wouldn't, but thank you for putting it that way, Virginia. Um, so, very topical. BJ, we are going through the trapdoor tonight in, I don't know what number chapter we're on, but it's 16. called Through the Trapdoor. <laughs> and um, as always, we have a couple of segments. I have a rapid-fire um, recap for us, and then we have maybe some wordplay, maybe mm-hmm. something else. I don't know what's going on over in yeah, BJ's just talk about corner things. of the world. Uh, and then we have newbies notes from Spencer, and I will award house points, which are fully my domain. So, anything we I need to talk about before we get started? Uh, only what your personal bet is going to be, and how fast you can finish this chapter, which has a lot of material to cover. It's it's a lot happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, with a lot of frantic momentum attached to it. Well, I we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> so I. Spoiler, there are a couple of two-word sentences in this. <laughs> Fair. There's a lot of short sentences in this chapter. I can guess what you're going to cover in those, two, those little sentences. And I, I, I would make a small bet that that happened will be at least one of those short sentences. <laughs> um, uh, I'm scrolling through my notes, and half of that is true. <laughs> All right, so what's your bet? How long do you think you're going to take to summarize this chapter? Um, I am going to say I can do 1 minute 56 seconds. 56? You sure you don't add some milliseconds attached to that? <laughs> All right, 1.56, the clock is ready at your pleasure. All right, so we come into the chapter and exams happen. And while Ron and Hermione are not particularly worried about Voldemort and Snape, Harry's scar won't stop hurting. He has a sudden realization that um, the way Hagrid got Norbert's egg was a bit dodgy. Turns out he got the egg from a man down at the pub who was very interested in Fluffy. Panic ensues. Snape knows how to get past Fluffy. They run for Dumbledore, and McGonagall tells them that he's just left for the Ministry of Magic. She is also unconvinced by their story, although flabbergasted that they know about the Philosopher's Stone. They run into Snape, who is, well, Snape. After failing to get a watch on Snape and to keep a watch on Snape and getting kicked out of the third floor corridor, Harry decides he has to go through the trap door. Ron and Hermione are, of course, going as well. They leave that night but are caught by Neville, who is ready to take a stand. So they have to Petrificus Totalis him, and they get to the corridor and play Fluffy to sleep while the owl was with the owl whistle Hagrid gave Harry. They make it down the trapdoor and land in a plat- plant, which turns out to be Devil's Snare, Professor Sprout's challenge. It almost kills Ron. Hermione briefly forgets she's a witch, then blasts it with fire. Flitwick's challenge is uh, flocks of entran- enchanted flying keys. They have to fly on broomsticks to catch the right one to unlock the door. McGonagall's challenge, giant transfigured chess pieces. As they have to play their way across the board, Ron marshals the effort and sacrifice himself to get Harry 
and Hermione across, Quirrell's challenge, a troll that is thankfully already out cold, and then Snape's challenge, which is a riddle, with potions ranging from deadly to innocuous to flame retardant. Hermione figures it out, sends Harry through, and goes back to deal with Ron and get help. There is an inspiring speech before he goes. Harry takes the potion and goes through to the final chamber, where he's faced with not Snape and not Voldemort. 140 flat. Whew! Damn! Well done! I'm impressed. Uh, and I feel like I would have been uh, poo-pooed, to say the least, if I summarized the chapter in <laughs> any any bit of that brevity. It, admittedly, just saying Snape being Snape, while very descriptive, is also cheating. <laughs> I knew exactly what you meant. I could assume very well from that description, but still cheating. Well, to be fair, Snape didn't do anything like super important in that interaction. No, just presumably being the whole big bad of the story until, well, the last the last sentence of the last line of this <laughs> chapter. Fair. Um, so, you know, some details left out. I would argue they're not salient ones. So, uh, BJ, what do you have for us? Um, so, so I have a few uh, things that kind of jumped out at me um, and have absolutely nothing to do with the book or anything else, but I'm pretty sure they didn't jump out at you guys anywhere near the same pl- way, um, and also a little bit in terms of word things. Um, so we all agree that the intended audience is a fairly young audience. Sure. Sure. Um, and I think we would all agree that presumably the the students are... Of, of the age of the audience, basically, they're like 10, 11, 12, something like that. Um, why are they making snuff boxes? This is hilarious to me that they're turning mice into snuff boxes and what snuff is. And I just imagine the conversations between parents of young children in, in the United Kingdom and possibly the U.S. trying to explain to their children what a snuff box is. And per uh, our off-pod conversation, it might surprise you to know that snuff boxes are surprisingly common among some Orthodox uh, Jewish populations. Um, anyway, so that thoroughly amused me, and I thought it was a very funny like thing that J.K. Rowling just sort of chose to do. It. it- it was really remarkably... F- I laughed when I saw it, just because it was just so random. Of all the things that mice could be turned into, the image of a whiskered snuff box just tickles me. And it's just <laughs> the oddest thing to have, to have preteens to start making, is that presumably none of them even have any concept of what snuff is. It's kind of re- kind of died out as a popular thing back in the 1800s. Um, but sure, snuff boxes, why not? Why not make drug paraphernalia? That's not going to go wrong at some point with a bunch of young teenagers. Um, hey, if it's if it's old enough, it's no longer drug paraphernalia. It's history. <laughs> that sure. Um, I feel like some old transfiguration professor started this whole um, like system, and it sure. has just in like a pure English fashion continued down and probably because he was a little hung over uh from the sherry one day at class and like had forgotten to put together a lesson plan and pulled out a mouse and pulled out a snuff box and was like okay this is our plan for the day here we go i have to have i have to now ponder whether if the mouse turned into snuff box actually has snuff inside after they transfigure it does that get them more points or concerned about whether they can turn the mouse back well, I guess the other side of it is, can you with these transfiguration spells, can you make anything? Like, not gold. 
but anyway, yeah, not gold. So so maybe that'll be in the the questions portion. Um, and the, then the other thing with the sort of um, history of things and traditions that that make me very sad <laughs> that I did not get my PhD in Finland is that. Um, there is at least one university um, that still awards a doctoral hat and sword um, when you defend. I have read about this, and it made me very sad as well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so a couple of other things that just jumped out at me as like really funny things about um, like the history of magic and the self-stirring cauldrons, mm-hmm. and that them them being unhappy about having to learn about it but this is probably one of the most useful inventions <laughs> that like they have Ever. in their lives right now and mm-hmm. so it, it's kind of like uh, a very boring history class but then somebody wants to like tell you about the inventor or invention of like the smartphone and you go well that's the most boring part and it's like <laughs> really you really think a bunch of 12 year olds are gonna say like that's the most boring part of uh, of you know the history of technology anyway there is i and i don't i have no idea what book it's in or something like or or where it comes from but there is a a funny moment in one of the books in a history of magic class which is taught by professor Benz, who is a ghost um where harry is half asleep or nodding off or thinking about something else or something like that and (laughs) he sort of rouses himself enough to figure out that whatever it is that Benz is talking about like handled by a different professor had like at least the possibility of being interesting before Mm. falling back into the stupor that he finds himself in Um, which is kind of one of the funny things because one of the few things that I remember about the history of chemistry and other weird things like that is that um cores was established where it was established because they needed the um soil that was local to what happened to be fairly good mountain springs but to make the suction filtrations for their beer Hmm. and so they also made a lot of these suction filtrations for organic chemistry sets um and so if you get older ones they're all stamped with cores um (laughs) Anyway, so I thoroughly disagree with their opinion on the history of magic and what's interesting. Admittedly, though, for 11 and 12 year olds, history is not always the most scintillating topic, no matter how fascinating we will find it in later life. That's true. 100% agree. Um, And so um, one other quick thing that, again, is sort of personally interesting. um, But every time I hear about giant squids... I can only think of one thing, and because the giant squid was hugely important for neuroscience in general, and so like that's immediately what comes to mind when the Weasley twins and Lee Jordan were tickling the tentacles of a giant squid, which was basking <laughs> in the warm shallows. Um, and I also thoroughly enjoy the uh, tickling of tentacles. Um, it, it's sort of the, the wordplay there. Um, the, the last thing that I... I did, which I feel like is very Spencer-ish, was the um, Hermione is talking about learning the werewolf werewolf code of conduct um, in 1637. Mm-hmm. And so I decided to look up what interesting happened in 1637. <laughs> um, oh, do tell. And, and so there wasn't a lot that was, you know, super 
fascinating in 1637. Um, but uh, says the person who was just talking about how much more interesting they would have found the history class. Yeah, well, not well. <laughs> at least like certain parts. The the part that they said is the most boring part. You know, I feel like is a surprisingly interesting part, but because it's very relevant to them. Um, but I believe it was the year that um, Fermat's last theorem was was first proposed by by Fermat, which I thought was kind of entertaining. I'm going to nominate the Battle of Lizard Point just because it's a funny name. That also <laughs> that also happened in 1637, and I think that's remarkable. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, there, there's, there's other things that were kind of entertaining and interesting. I was just hoping to find something that could be related to the, uh, werewolf code of conduct. Um, but, but I couldn't really find anything. And the main rebellions were in, um, very far Eastern countries. So I kind of figured that was probably not, not the, uh, the uprising that we're talking about here. A werewolf code of conduct sounds like a, you know, mythological misnomer. They seem to exist for the purpose of not having a code of conduct, which raises interesting implications of how werewolves work in this series. And I have a vague memory of there being a movie that has a werewolf in it that I think was Harry Potter. So maybe I'll find out more later. Are you sure it wasn't, um... I am sure of nothing, because I'm pretty sure I actually saw this movie, the first movie, and I remember nothing about what's happening in this plot. So <laughs> I was going to say, or Underworld, frame or there are, there's <laughs> another famous vampire and werewolf movie that um, we will not name. Um, the, the, other the movie thing that, that shall not be named. Yes. The other thing that, that I feel like is thoroughly amusing, will be thoroughly amusing to the two of you, and I, I feel a little bit of shame in this, is... I, I know I knew this at some point, but like it's it's not two facts that are intertwined in my brain. Um, it it is where Descartes introduces the Cartesian coordinate system, which I know I knew that he was responsible for it, but though like he is not linked with the Cartesian coordinate system in my brain, <laughs> despite mm. all evidence that might suggest. Yes. Gotcha. So that is my segment of randomness um, that that I will now turn over to Newbie's Notes. A, a different flavor of randomness brought upon this podcast. I do uh, my best. Yeah. Well, going through my various random points, and just a side note, uh, BJ kind of dared me to drink the uh, peanut butter liqueur during the course of this podcast, so if I make random grimacing no uh, noises, it's not because I dislike this chapter, I quite enjoyed it, it's because I'm hating life as I try to sip through this. So this is kind of like the every flavor bean, birdies, <laughs> the box, beans, or whatever. <laughs> this is yeah. just one that you happen not to like, and you just need to take your beans. This would be this would be the this would be the every flavor jar if the only if someone had removed all of the various varieties and only put burnt peanut butter in there as an alternative. That's like not out of the question, I think, for <laughs> Birdie Bots every flavor beans. I mean, no, this I'm is essentially like somebody mixing uh, M and M's and Skittles in, in a jar. Like it's fine. You just have to deal with it. Well, I'm gonna, and I'm gonna talk about various things I've liked or found interesting in this chapter as I go through it. Uh, the first one is just perfectly random. It just con conjured an interesting image in my mind of where I've read lots of stories and seen lots of movies where some character is shelling peas. Pretty much everything now from Harry Potter to Driving Miss Daisy. I just suddenly realized when I'm reading that, though, I have never done that, 
and not really sure where I would start. I guess I would just take pea pods and remove the peas from them, but it's just an interesting bit of background imagery and so many things I've seen that I realize I've got no actual connection to. So I've, just a random a thought question, that occurred Sarah. to me. Yes. Because I definitely have done this, and I have a feeling that you might have too. Indeed I have. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, I wonder like what the breakdown is of people who, who have not shelled peas and the people that have... Spencer is is clearly in the half-nots. Very much not. No, I have I have certainly done that, as um, my family did, in fact, grow peas when I was growing up. That, that does give that you an advantage. intensely Midwest. Like <laughs> <it>. <laughs> oh, t- t- um, no, we, we sat on the screened-in porch on the floor and shelled peas. That is just iconic Americana right there. <laughs> Yeah, that's my childhood. I'm 87 years old. And <laughs> <laughs> Were there mint juleps present during this experience? Um, no, there was gin in a glass. <laughs> Same equivalent, different region. All right, moving on. Uh, dear Christ is Hagrid a moron. I mean, it's been hinted at previously. It's been discussed that there are some certain gaps in his intellect, but good God, he is so dumb here that he doesn't even realize how dumb he is. He only realizes the degree that he just gave gave the whole case away to the children. He doesn't realize that he actually did it two weeks ago. And apparently has still not gotten it through the end of this chapter. I'm expecting in the next chapter, Harry's just going to hear a, a, a random curse word yelled out in the distance as Hagrid finally gets it. I mean, he's dumb to the point that it's leading me to question Dumbledore's decision-making in trusting him so much. Because Dumbledore apparently counts on him for essentially everything out of reasons that I don't really get yet, other than that he's very steadfastly loyal, clearly means well and is dedicated, but the execution leaves much to be desired, both in A, giving up the secret trick to the dog, and also B, having a secret trick to Fluffy, which is so simple that if someone is nervously humming when confronted by your beast, apparently that's enough to defeat it. But, moving on. Have you tried humming to your puppy? I've tried many things with this dog. Nothing's worked so far. Okay. Uh, Another thing I liked about this chapter quite a bit was how well she builds dramatic tension, particularly for the first half. You really feel the frenetic energy of the characters as they're increasingly trying to find a way to fix this this solution, and everything is falling apart as they go around them. She even structures it well in these very short little clip sentences that just, as you're reading them, you're feeling the tension build as the characters get more and more frantic to find a solution, find a way out of the situation. That's really well done. It loses a bit by the end as they're going through the puzzles, but even that feels a little bit more appropriate as they're going through a much more thought process of trying to solve these situations. Uh, I, too, have had a similar mindset to Hermione with respect to grade security (laughs) under the idea that if I'm doing well enough, they can't hurt me. That if I get 112 on my test, I can get away with other things because I'm in my own little unique category. Side note, it's not true in any sense of the word. They will I was going to say, that is 100% not true, especially if no. you don't do your homework. No, no, no. There are any number of ways that even the number one member of their class will just be utterly kicked out for the slightest possible offense in any stage of your career in school or elsewise. But I, too, had that mindset at that age that all I need to do is do well, and therefore I will be protected. Hermione clearly has that. She may find out that she's later wrong, but it's still a cute moment. Uh, this was also a really wrong time for Neville to grow his spine. I'm proud of him. <laughs> Kudos to him. He did well. He straight up said, come at me, bro. Um, and I'm legitimately proud of him for that. However, 
again, pick your battles. This was not that moment. It did not work out for him. Uh, Sarah, I'm very much amused that you said, you know, Snape does what Snape does, while at the same time you recited in Latin the spell that Hermione uses <laughs> on him. Priorities. I felt like that was more important. <laughs> you know, it was. Uh, I'm curious how that spell works, and I'm going to ask that later during the questions, because just leaving a guy completely paralyzed on the floor has so many ways that can go wrong going forward. Uh, but again, I'm... I'm kind of impressed to see that Neville has the most clear character arc in this story in terms of character growth. That he has come the farthest and probably still only has farther to go, assuming that his trust in his friends has been permanently destroyed <laughs> by what they just inflicted upon him. It's just life uh, lessons, Spencer. Life lessons. That if you get in our way when we choose to say that you're in our way, we will, per we will paralyze you and leave you on the floor with barely a word left behind you. I hope you learn something from this. Uh... In terms of continued, I'm, I'm continually amused by the Greek mythology references in this, and just the little addition of the harp was quite fun for me, because when you throw a harp as a, way, as a means of getting around uh, a three-headed dog that more than vaguely resembles Cerberus, you've got elements of Orpheus in the underworld, you've mm -hmm. got elements of um, uh, Io and the uh, Argos, the hundred-eyed monster, and Hermes putting it to sleep by either telling it funny jokes or playing it music, depending on your interpretation. And so I'm, a, I'm, again, very much amused that this world seems to be very firmly grounded in various bits of Greek mythology. And again, this is a world where apparently all magic and all stories about magic is true. And I love the implications of where that eventually leads. Uh, this chapter also very clearly demonstrated that our trio is a wonderful trio and would be entirely useless if they were not together. That they have incredibly remarkable abilities that complement each other and are helpless without other people to balance out their deficits. That, you know, example laid out, Hermione is utterly brilliant, but very easily flustered to the point that two of her friends nearly died because she forgot that she could conjure fire. I do enjoy that the characters even pointed out there that, dear Christ, I'm glad Harry's good under pressure because one of us isn't. Uh, as for the puzzles themselves, uh, I'm very glad that... I'm not there responsible for trying to save the world. Because between chess and word games, Voldemort's totally winning if I'm the one that's responsible for trying to get us through this. Spencer, didn't you have to do word games on the LSAT? I did, and I studied for three months <laughs> to do halfway bad at those. Just checking. Yeah, so uh, if maybe the three of us are sent in there to be the, you know, guys that are going after Voldemort, we'd stand a chance. But uh, if it's just me trying to, you know, deal with this situation, chess... Again, it's going to take me so damn long that I may not even get through it. And as for the word games, I might just throw myself into the fire as a reasonable alternative. <laughs> so what I'm hearing is you think that you're going to be the better one under pressure. Uh, well, we know that one's not true. I'm more just baggage for this trip. Yeah, what what are, are you bringing to this situation, Spencer? <laughs> I'm the guy just standing back. So I'm just happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me. I mean, no you offense, know, you, you Spencer. You totally could have paralyzed me in the hallway and left me there is my role in this story. But I was going to say, like, I feel like you're more of a Neville here. Just, oh, you I, know. I fully embrace this label, and yet I'm so glad that I was apparently brought on to the end chapter. Um, not sure where you guys had to pick up the slack from not having one of the actual useful people present, but again, I'm touched that you decided to include me. And uh, one of the things that, that I was going to mention is that Neville is sort of the, like, um, audience character. Oh, yeah. He's the mm -hmm. stand-in. Um, because there's definitely a point in, like, he's not even talking, but it was just like, 
Neville thought Harry had a bad case of exam nerves because he couldn't sleep, but the truth was, and it's like, mm-hmm. again, first of all, super weird thing for the narrator to do, and second of all, like a Neville is telling us how we're supposed to think about things. Yeah, it was a that I even wrote that one down, but I just didn't feel the need to address it. That it was a really interesting break because this is like one of the first times since the Quidditch chapter that we just suddenly had a narrator focusing on the perspective and thoughts of another character again. Yeah, there's a a weird, like, wandering narrator um, throughout this book, but it is, like, as you all point out, it's unevenly, it's unevenly distributed, I would say. Like, the first couple of chapters, or at least certainly the first chapter with the Dursleys, is weird. First chapter, we have a floating narrator. Yeah. It's just... Then after that, we get pretty much fixed on Harry for a while. Then suddenly in Quidditch, we jump between like four different people in rapid succession. Mm -hmm. And and then mostly we've been pretty fixed on Harry since. And then suddenly Neville. So, Sarah, does Neville like come to play this role in later books? Because I 100% don't remember. But I really feel like he's a really good stand-in to help younger readers or listeners or whatever like come to grips with like what the what harry knows and makes sense to him and Mm -hmm. like what's happening in the world and like meshing it with everything else like what would be scary and what would be reasonable for like an everyday person to like get out of the book and get out of like what's going on with harry that's a good that's a really uh, a really good question. I I don't. I'm not sure. Um, well, I think we we'll should be, be on, on the, the second book soon. Yeah, <laughs> and we'll find out. Um, no, there are certainly. I mean, you certainly get moments of Neville and other characters doing some of the work that you're talking about, but I'm not sure. I don't remember it being consistent enough to have noted it. But I also mm-hmm. just like didn't even note it in this instance so it's possible that it was just not it's not something i'm attuned to but now i will be and i'm very excited i mean honestly like if we weren't doing a chapter by chapter read i don't know that i would have noticed it either oh yeah you mean when (laughs) when i keep rereading it in an afternoon it's not like the deep the deep reading that might come up with this interpretation exactly yeah i mean I'll be very curious to see where Neville goes from here, because BJ, I think it's a really good read on him being the audience stand-in, and therefore him being allowed to essentially grow, because the because you want to have that experience with the audience, they get more custom to the world, and have hopes in themselves as to where they can find their own place in the world. But if he has the same rate of character growth over the course of these next few books, and there, again, there are five of these, six of these, how many of the Harry he, Potter books He's the there? overall hero of the books, so... That he may be going that arc, because if he, based on where he started and where he's ended up just in this book, he's going to be... You know, fighting Dumbledore in duels by the end of this series. <laughs> He's gone far already, and this can only be an exponential rise from here. Or just utter stagnation. We'll see. Uh, last point for me on Newbie's notes is Mother Puss Bucket, that cliffhanger ending. Uh, uh, I'm sticking very rigidly to the rules that we have set for us that I'm not reading a ask. single word further. And this chapter's great because it just ends on its own page. So there's oh, no risk of was, going further. That was going to be my next question because my book definitely has um, this chapter ending on Verso, a Verso page, and the next chapter beginning on Recto. So it's right next to each other. No, I think I might have gotten those confused. I 100% am not surprised that you know those terms and <laughs> would be 100% surprised if any of our listeners did. <laughs> So the the chapter we just finished ends on the back of the page, and the next chapter begins on the front of the page. 
So it's real hard not to look at the very beginning of the next chapter. Well, luckily for Kindle, the, these chapters end on their own pages. They don't you know, blend in with what's coming next. Excellent. Um, so I do not know what's coming next. It pisses me off, but as per tradition, I'm going to wait until the next day we record and read about an hour before. So I'm not going to find out for a week what goes down to this chapter, but I'm really curious to know. Because the ending is a very effective moment for... This is most of my experience reading these books at this age, is that my dad's reading to me as I go to sleep. Mm -hmm. I'm looking at the shadows of the wall, imagining what's going on, and impish bastard that he is, he reads that ending and goes, okay, good night, Spencer, and just leaves. <laughs> yep. Goes totally. And he takes the book with him, because he knows otherwise that thing is going, this is being read tonight. <laughs> so, it, it, this was a very effective chapter, a lot of plot direction, some well-structured degree of tension associated with it, and a very effective cliffhanger to have me ponder what's happening next. I'm assuming that a lot of my suspicions about a certain professor of the dark arts are going to be proven true going forward, but... If so, that's been well foreshadowed and set up, and so I'll be curious to see how it plays out come the end. Well, I am very excited for you to turn, this, turn the page, Spencer. <laughs> My patience will, will carry me through. <laughs> but I believe we are moving on now to House Points. Yeah, so House Points. Uh, winners and losers of the chapter. I have a very clear idea of a loser. Uh, and Spencer, you have pointed this person out very succinctly for me. Hagrid. Clear loser of this chapter. <laughs> Dear Christ, Hagrid. <laughs> All of his past sins coming back to haunt him uh, in ways that he has not realized yet. Um, so Hagrid is not doing particularly well for himself. Uh, the winner of the house points is a little bit trickier in this chapter because Neville had a very brave moment, um, although he is he now <laughs> prone on the floor, which I think... Um, I think disqualifies him from being the actual winner of the house points. Uh, to be fair, Ron is also prone on the floor, which may also disqualify him from being the winner of the house points. So if I'm playing by those rules that I have just set up for myself in the moment, I think Hermione has to be the winner of the house points. <laughs> and that she did not end this chapter either rigid or with a concussion? Yes. <laughs> okay. That, that is well, a criteria to evaluate this by. Harry didn't either, technically. That's true. I will say, though, that Hermi I was trying to do the math, so Hermi Hermione actively solved two of the challenges. Yeah, I was going to say, like, Harry is essentially completely useless. He's just going forward. Well, he, he got... Okay, they would not have been able to get through the flying key room without Harry present. That, his, that room was designed for him to As solve. As quickly, at least. Well, they, would they have even been... A, he was the one that even recognized that they were keys. And B, they really take time to say that his unique skills and his once-in-a-generation ability are what let them get through this. I don't, I don't even think we've ever really seen that uh, either Ron or Hermione have any particular skill at flying around on brooms. Uh, Hermione is terrible at it. Ron is fine. Hermione could use a Roomba. <laughs> Hermione could use a Roomba. <laughs> um, okay. So, so uh, yeah, I'm going to do Hermione. She got through the Devil's Snare Challenge. Um, mm -hmm. She got through the Riddle, which was a very tricky little challenge to be set by Snape. And um, then she also gives that sort of, like, rousing speech to Harry, telling him yeah. that he's a great wizard right before he goes into the jaws of whatever comes next. That, that was a heartwarming moment of her jumping up and hugging him, giving him that degree of inspiration, and then sending him off into oblivion as she go as she goes runs to get the cavalry. Yeah, so I, I think she actually did the most this chapter. 
Well, again, given that the alternatives are A, guy who spoiled the entire plot, B, guy who's rigid on the floor despite bravery, C, guy who has concussion, or Harry Potter, you know, it's a certain degree of elimination, but she gets, cre- she, she gets kudos where she deserves. We also just didn't see a lot of characters in this chapter. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, we sort of saw them in very brief glimpses, Right. it would have been like a montage in a movie. No, yeah. I mean, the other major characters that we saw, it's McGonagall, who comes across as remarkably frustrating in this chapter, and, and Snape. very mm-hmm. capricious in terms of taking away house points, and, like, yeah. the last chapter never happened. Yeah, <laughs> it's one of those things where she has a line about, I'll take away 50 points, even though it's my own house. And I'm like, look, if I was one of the students, I would have to contain myself and say, you just took away 150 yesterday. <laughs> I know you'll do it. You've, pr- you've got a proven track record here. Also, got it. <laughs> we're already in last place. What are you going to do at this point? Um, yeah, an interesting question that we have not never figured out if you could go into negative points at any at any given moment. <laughs> at that point, we reach the punishment stage. <laughs> Filch. Have fun. You get to bring out the chains. So, all right. I think that's what we have for the chapter itself. What questions can I answer? Well, a, qu- a question that I'm not going to ask you to answer, but I really wonder when chapters were written, because mm. to have this chapter like right, like right, right after essentially a chapter where McGonagall just takes away house points like nobody's business, <laughs> and to be like, well, I'm totally, I would totally do it, and it's like, yes, you, you just yeah, did, yeah. like what demonstrated history. <laughs> so anyway, Spencer. fair point. Uh, First question for me, and this is just a fun thing to ponder, anti-cheating spells. Mm-hmm. How do those work? Do we know anything more about how anti-cheating spells prevent the cheating? Because there's many ways that could play out. It seems to only apply in terms of written tests, and it's in their actual their quills. Mm-hmm. But do we have any further explanation of how that magic functions? Um, do or, or we? Is this, I... more of a, is this more of a question for philosophers? Well, what is cheating, Spencer? Um, oh, we're opening up the next story with these kind of <laughs> philosophical questions. Um, I'm not. I'm not honestly sure. I know that they come up at other points, mostly because like people take exams again, and they frequently get mentioned in sure. terms of the exams. Um, but I don't know. I don't know that we ever get like what happens if you are trying to cheat. Um, my impression, and I could be totally... So I, I'm sure they have to do something if you are trying to cheat in some way. My impression was like that you were partially given them to uh, protect against having like brought in a quill that you might have enchanted in some way to remember and write answers for you or something like that. Like We get some evidence of quills that can do weird and interesting things. Um, later on. So I think that's part of it. But like what type of cheating they're actually in the moment meant to stop? I don't know. Okay. I wasn't sure if the thing would literally not let you write down answers that were acquired through cheating, which just that's a fascinating concept to ponder, or whether it would start blaring at the teacher if you started doing things related to cheating. But it seems like there's a lot of options to consider. That's a good point to bring out that presumably you you could enchant a quill just to store all possible answers and write them down for you. Like we all used to do with our TI-89 calculators. Uh, You are asperging my honor with these assumptions. (laughs) Wait, you didn't play like really bad text-based games? Yes, I also put all of my formulas in there. 
BJ, okay. you just you just assumed I had the slightest understanding of technology right there. <laughs> I assumed that you would have gotten somebody that was willing to help you out with it, but sure. <laughs> also an assumption on your part. Oh, Spencer. <laughs> I've got you guys now. Oh, Neville. <laughs> um, B- BJ, next question for you? Yeah. Um... So I'm I'm going to just point something out um, rather than asking a, a question per se. But um, actually, Harry isn't that great under pressure because he just says to light a fire. It's actually Ron that reminds Hermione that like she can make fire, um, and then says like Ron says like it's good thing that Harry's good under pressure. Where it's just kind of like a I mean I guess, but it was actually Ron that was helpful mm-hmm. um i had a question there we go um about something earlier in the chapter um so when things are covered in classes and there are exams on them like are we to just assume that hermione goes above and beyond or is this just sort of like a everybody's studied like all of these things or what like or, or is is Hermione like Spencerish and, and the like just deep delves on like all of the all of the things that could possibly be asked oh yeah no she definitely goes above and beyond she's on the like weird I guess it wouldn't be a Wikipedia spiral. Um, but, <laughs> the wizarding uh, equivalent. Yeah, a, a random library book spiral. Because And we also see that, too. Like, the the books she checks out for light reading. Um, yeah. So I think that, that that pans out. And she's the type of person, I think, who would, like, take her textbook and actually read all of the footnotes, um, which no one else no one else would do in that class, nor would they necessarily be tested on them, except to, like, maybe in Snape's class. Gotcha. And th- then the other thing that, I guess, kind of... Well, now, now that you bring up Snape, is... So, he's potions, um, and they knew that somebody's gone before them, and they have some potions that are partially drunk. Um, I guess it's kind of like a, there's this difficulty in reasoning, but... There's definitely one of the potions that has had some taken from it. Um, um, so I don't, I mean, I don't know that we know that they can see that. Okay. Um, my, my impression is that there are like certain, and we actually get evidence of this later, um, but there are certain potions that can like refill themselves. Um, and so my understanding was that like in this system... Um, those potions would have been like refilled and reset as soon as whoever it is that went through before them gotcha. went through. Okay. And then the follow-up is, is it just because there are potions there that they assume that this was Snape's uh, test? Because, I mean, a logic puzzle seems very Dumbledore-ish. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that that's the reason, the reason that, we, that they assume that. It, they turn okay. out to be correct. Um, yeah, but th- I think that that's the reason that they assume that, um, and I mean, maybe we learn some more things about Snape later that would solidify the idea that he would find that kind of test amusing. Fair enough. Maybe. But I don't know. People that he's fond of doing maybe. things to. Maybe. Um, 
It, se it seems like they had a degree of assumption just based on the prior tests about who was left. And it seems like they were assuming that Dumbledore was not involved in any of these. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I, and another follow-up that I just realized, are the professors that we have bet so far the only professors at Hogwarts? No, and that's a like weird inconsistency in kind of what <laughs> what these tests are because we meet a ton of different professors later. Okay. Um, specifically, in your third year, you start to you get to start choosing sort of elective classes. Hmm, that'll be interesting to see. Mm -hmm. Kind of imagine what a wizarding elective would be. I imagine the sky's the limit for that kind of thing. Indeed. All right. Uh, question question for me, BJ. Oh, sorry, I, I, I've been monopolizing with follow-up questions, but please. Uh, paralyzed spells, or just really uh, uh, spells that affect other individuals. Mm -hmm. Are Do spells, in terms of their effects, expire over time, or do they have to be effectively disenchanted? Essentially, will Neville be left in the state that he is until someone finds him and removes the effects of the spell, or can spells wear off over time? Uh, little of column A, little of column B. And it depends on a couple of things. Some specific spells are time sensitive and time bound and or even space bound if um, the person who cast them has moved far enough away, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but some spells are more or less permanent until they are reversed, actively reversed. Although even some of those spells, if you have someone, for example, like a first year student casting it, who is maybe not as skilled as they would have been, they're just not as strong. And so t sometimes those will wear off anyway. Um, and then you have like actual curses, some of which are just permanent and there's no counter curse, no way to stop it. Um, we see some examples of that in later books uh, with some like, pretty upsetting uh, muggle-baiting type things that happen. Like the normal magical flourish? The normal magical flourish. Abracadabra? <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> Irreversible. All right. Well, one last question from me then is basically how these... Do we find out any more about how these various enchantments from the professors worked? Was Dumbledore himself the only one who knew what each of these spells was? Because it implies the professors only knew about the one that they cast, and this was some kind of, you know, Greek mm -hmm. fire scenario where only all together could they really get through this, because only each one of them had one piece of how the, each of these worked. Did anyone have all the know? Um, as far as we know, Dumbledore was supposed to be the only one who knew all of it. Okay. There is um, somebody that probably will be introduced within the first couple of lines of the next chapter that <laughs> might have there's a strong suggestion yes that they at least pieced it together as they went through yeah the pl the plan was that only dumbledore would know okay well that is it for me other than that i'm excited to find out next week who the ultimate villain of this particular um, book of harry potter was or is besides i'm guessing well we know it's not voldemort or at least it's not well, Voldemort it, directly. It's presumably somebody who will be named, so... Oh, har, 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 har. Very clever, BJ. <laughs> well, that seems as good a place as any to stop. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so next week we have the very final chapter of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer slash Philosopher's Stone, uh, which is entitled The Man, the with, Man two with Two Faces. Faces. I'm excited. Which is very creepy. Um, the so Man with Two Faces. <laughs> 
Spencer is just learning this for the first time. Well, I'm yes. afraid to. I'm, I, I don't know this because I'm afraid to move to the next chapter in case ah, it tells yes. me what anything about it. All right. Well, the next chapter is called "The Man with Two Faces," and Ooh. that is what we will be discussing next time. And it's probably a little bit less uh, Hitchhiker's Guide and more something else. Um, and excited to do it. Uh, look forward to next week and our continuing reads. Till then, everybody. Have a good night, guys. Bye, y'all.